Hello everyone and welcome to the Front End Coach podcast with me, James Robinson. Apologies for the delay in the recording of this episode, but I'm delighted to have Michael Strutt back on the podcast. I think we covered so much content last time and there's there was a lot we, we spoke about and a lot we wanted to sort of go into some more detail on. So given that, I've decided to have Michael back on the, the show and he wanted to come back on, which is great. So in this episode, we're going to talk about a few things, but focus mainly around the job application process, the interview process, uh, specifically for junior developers. And we'll also talk about the portfolio building process as well, what to look for there. Hey, Michael, welcome. And thanks for coming back on. Thank you very much for having me, James. I'm quite surprised to be back so soon. I know. I think it went really well last time and it was just like tons to cover and it was a really long episode. So yeah, so, yeah I guess like we'll, we'll, we'll jump straight in. Just wanted to, because I think we finished the last episode talking about interviews and portfolios and uh, you touched on, a, I think, some of your experience interviewing sort of juniors and stuff. So I just yeah. wanted to get your thoughts on the job application technique. So, and I mean, what I mean by this is, I think there's two sort of camps there's the first camp that does the sort of like, you know, spray and hope technique of I will apply for hundreds of jobs and just hope I get a response. Or the second camp that likes to curate applications specifically to jobs, you know, have like a really personalized cover letter, etc. You know, what what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, what approach did you take or do you prefer? Yeah, it's a good question, James. And um, I think... I find myself very firmly in the hand-selected curated camp. Um, I think it's partly comes from, like, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, so I don't like the idea of sort of settling for just any job. You know, I wanted to find my unicorn, wanted to find something perfect. Um, I think the last time I did job applications, I spent three months searching and applying, and I think I only sent out, like, two or three applications in that time. Like, I was kind of just finding something I really liked, sending out an application and seeing where it went. So, I mean, obviously that's not a situation that maybe everyone um, can find themselves in, but I think for me, it's just, yeah, I just really want to make sure I find something that I really want. And then when I find something I really want, I really want to, you know, give it my all. I don't want to just sort of take a chance. So you actually only replied for like just a couple, just two or three you really like the look of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I did three applications two take-home tests, and then one interview, or two interviews with Potato. But um, yeah, Potato was the only one I actually interviewed with that time I was was job hunting. Um, I think my parents were getting a little worried at the time because I was talking (laughs) to them throughout the process, and they're like, you know, you haven't heard back from that one in in a little while. You should probably probably apply for something else. I was like, yeah, but I really like it. So, uh, you know, it's like everything else I can find just doesn't feel as good. So unless I know I haven't got it, then... I didn't really want to, you know, start looking at what the second or third or fourth best option was. Exactly. And I guess like it, it paid off, right? Because you found something that you really liked and then you end up staying at that place, you know, a long time and getting a lot out of the job as opposed yeah. to, you know, taking something and then being like, okay, this isn't for me. I sort of, I'll move on again. Yeah. I think that that was the main thing was like, I didn't want to, you know, go through all the effort of, of application and interview and starting a new job and finding out everything because you know it, it is hard and like for for different people change is sort of a 
an easier or harder process. I think for me, like it was quite a big deal changing jobs and sort of getting to know everyone at the new place again and doing things a different way. So I just, yeah, I, I didn't want to go through all of that for something I wasn't very enthusiastic about only yeah. to want to do it again in six months time. I, I think I like that approach as well, because I think maybe it's even more important now, whereas, you know, a lot of junior devs will probably be onboarded remotely um, mm. given, you know, sort of the ongoing coronavirus crisis. And so I feel like if you if you can find a really good company that takes things like onboarding you know, and hiring of new employees and just in general seriously, then it's probably more likely to make, you know, your life easier and, you know, your your first job as a, a junior developer a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, like, if you put a lot of effort into your cover letter, you know, you, you go through, you make it custom, maybe you, you introduce yourself specifically to that company, you sort of go through your CV and maybe highlight a couple of the areas that you think are really relevant to that role and you really kind of put your passion to to learn and to grow at that specific company into your application it's going to show and you're kind of going to make make yourself stand out a lot more and you know as someone in the position where you're reviewing maybe a hundred plus applicants for a job why would you want to hire someone who doesn't appear to care if they get the job or not you know like if it's just a standard yeah. sort of cv drop to every company like you'll look at that and you'll be like well i've got this applicant who's just given me their cv and they've got the same experience as this other applicant who's gone into a bunch of detail, seems really passionate, seems to actually really want to learn, you know, learn about this job, join this company and work hard and stay here. Because I think as well, like for a company, it's actually quite expensive to go through the process of hiring someone. So yep. if someone isn't that enthusiastic and only wants to stick around for sort of six months to then have to go through that process again in six months time is a waste of everyone's time, really. So they're going to want to make what they see as a long-term hire, if possible. And I guess with a junior role, you are investing for the future, right? Cause yeah. Really, a junior's, well, they might be productive early on, but they, there's going to be a lot of hand-holding that's required for quite a while before maybe the company gets some sort of return on, on investment. But that's expected, really. Yeah, absolutely expected. And I think companies that are hiring for juniors should know that they're doing that. And yeah. you know, hopefully if they're a good company, be prepared to invest that time and, and see that as a worthwhile investment. Um, so yeah, definitely you want to find someone who's excited for that role, who wants to learn, you know, is, is showing that they want to learn and grow quickly and also is excited to, to be with your company on that journey. In terms of sort of curating the application, is, is this, so would you take so you take sort of the job description and you do some research onto the company and their sort of like their culture. So would you rewrite your a completely unique cover letter for every application then that's completely custom? It's an interesting one. So initially, so for Potato in particular, I think the process I went through was I took a template that kind of gave you a rough outline of like some things to say, like what to include, like kind of areas to touch on. Um, then I did a lot of reading around the website and I tried to match my tone of voice to Potato's tone of voice. Oh, okay. So at the time, the website had a very casual tone of voice. This was sort of several redesigns back now. Um, you know, like there was some foul language on the website. There was some you know, <laughs> jokes and, you know, like it talked about sort of generally we appreciate the lack of bullshit at Potato and stuff like that was on the job spec. So I was like, right, well, I'm going to I'm going to match that casual tone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to write a cover letter that kind of almost embodies me as a potato from the get-go. Um, 
And then I obviously I included, you know, some fairly standard statements as well around like why I think I'd be good for the role. But I really tried to focus on looking at the key skills that they'd asked for as requirements in the job ad and hitting those off and giving like, not just saying, oh, I'm good at this, but like giving an example of like, you know, Potato mentioned that they particularly like open source contributions is something that they do. Um, they might be interested to know that I did a open source contribution to Protractor, which is the main uh, testing library for Angular, which Potato says they use. You know, that kind of... Yeah. Um, obviously, I probably wouldn't have used the word potato quite so many times when I wrote that sentence. <laughs> you get it down to start with, and then you can kind of refine it and go over it. Um, and so certainly early on, I found like writing cover letters would be almost entirely specific to the, to the job. But I think if you're doing a higher number of those, like obviously I only did, only did a few, so I, I can't quite talk to that, but you can kind of find like, you'll have paragraphs that are more relevant to one job than another. Like say you're applying to a few jobs and some of them focus on react and some of them focus on view. Well, you'll have a paragraph that kind of highlights your react skill or your view skill or your, the fact that you know both and you can be framework agnostic and you can sort of, um, you know, jump around and, and learn what you need to. Like you'll sort of have these almost building blocks that you can start putting together in a yeah. cover letter. And then you just want to make sure you're doing a sort of a, a bit more of a custom introduction, or maybe you're just tweaking a few of the words throughout to make it fit the tone of that job a bit better. I think there's um, kind of this other side to the coin that would probably be good to touch on. Cause I think you and I were both in quite a fortunate position when we were job searching that we could take the time to do things the way we wanted. Yes. We didn't have sort of immediate financial pressures that meant we needed a job next month or, you know, or be kind of screwed financially. Um, so I think that there is that argument that curated applications are much more time consuming. And for some people, I guess they may be in a slightly more desperate situation. And so they're feeling the need to sort of hit out CV, 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 because they just need something sooner. And I think that's a completely valid strategy. Um, I think, yeah, we we need to recognize that these sort of curated yep. best case examples um, definitely take up a lot more time. I think the the advice I'd give to someone in that situation is, and this is this is something I actually talked to my girlfriend about when she was job searching over the summer, was maybe when you're looking through all those job sites on a given day and you kind of find your 10 jobs you're going to apply to or however many it is, maybe pick the one or two that seem like the best jobs, like the ones that you're most excited about are the ones you yeah. found that day. Do a mail drop for all the others, you know, just give them your CV or a standard formatted cover letter if you've got one and you're going for that kind of thing. Like send that to them to get that volume you need. But then for the ones that seem like the best jobs you found in a given day, that's when I'd really suggest like, okay, now start putting that curated cover letter today, uh, putting you know, a little bit more personality and maybe tailoring what you're saying a bit more to the application, showing a bit more keenness. And if you're doing that every day, I know that that is, again, quite a lot of effort, quite a lot of load. But if you're doing that again and again, it's going to get easier each time and you're going to have this little library of paragraphs you can drop in and it's actually going to become quite, quite easy to throw together, you know, sort of a not fully custom, but quite custom cover letter that can just make your application stand out a bit more because I think that's yeah. one of the hardest things if you're one of hundreds of people applying to a single job you're gonna have to stand out somehow and unless 
you're the most experienced person of the 140 we had, you know, that just your CV alone isn't going to be the thing that makes you stand out. Yeah, so that's a, a really nice trade-off. But like you said, that's a really important point, isn't it? Because at some point, given how competitive the market is, you're going to have to try and stand out somehow. I guess it's because it feels, I guess the metric, isn't it, for a successful job search is how many responses you get, even just initial responses from you know HR or just reaching out to book in maybe an initial chat. And if you, if you feel like you're sending off 10, 20 applications a day, it feels like maybe you're making progress. And it's, it's a lot riskier, isn't it, to, to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to curate all of my applications and I'm just going to send off like five a week. <laughs> Um, yeah absolutely so i can definitely appreciate that so i wanted to just talk a little bit now about portfolios and this seems like the hot topic at the moment especially on like tech twitter and things like that about you know getting a a good portfolio together and so i guess really you know let's dive straight into this you know how important is a portfolio do you think yeah i mean it's a good question because i've seen some of the the posts that are sort of pushing back and saying you shouldn't have a portfolio at all it's a waste of time so yep I think I need to recognize I got a little bit of bias here. And so I'm only speaking from from my point of view as a, as a reviewer, but I really like portfolios. I certainly I've put a lot of effort into my own portfolio when I've been doing that as part of my application. Um, I think they're a really good way to show a bit of character, a bit of personality. Um, but also, you know, I can look through your GitHub and it will show me in order the most recently pushed to repositories. But they might not be the best ones. You know, they might be just the ones you happen to be working on. And actually you've got this really good project that you did a little while ago and I'll only see the code for it. I might not see it running, you know, so it's a a chance to sort of showcase maybe and put, you can put a selection of your favorite projects that show, you know, good things about you in different areas. Maybe, you know, one was in a different language to another one was sort of more complex on the back end. One was more complex on the front end. One's got really nice CSS, whereas this other one's got this really complicated JavaScript interaction. And you can do a little bit of a piece about why this is a good example of your work. And then you can you can also change the order. So you can really bring to the top the ones that you want to highlight to people. Um, and it's also a chance to, like I see a portfolio site as a chance for you to write code without any constraints in a way. So you can pick exactly what libraries or not libraries you want to use on your portfolio site. Yep. No one but you is deciding the architecture of the CSS. You know, everything you put do on that portfolio site is something you've decided to do. And I think that says a lot about a dev. Whereas if it's a project you've done at a boot camp, it's kind of up to the boot camp how you're doing it and what libraries you're picking. So it doesn't really show what you know per se and doesn't really show how you go about things. Whereas I think I guess that I've always seen that portfolio site as like that really authentic idea of this is me at my best. And it's certainly that was, I think that that may have even just been the wording I used on my portfolio site at one point, like this is me doing what I do best kind of thing. So yeah, I I always, I've always had a fondness for them. That's that's really insightful. And I I think I I completely agree. I think especially for juniors and Mm. given how competitive the market is, I just, I can't see an argument for not having a portfolio. Like I get it if you've got, you know, five years experience, you're a senior and your, you know, experience and your credentials, you know, and the projects you've worked on, they sort of speak for themselves. You can get, maybe you can yeah. get away with that. But if you're a junior and yourself, especially if you're self-taught, you know, you don't really 
you don't really have much to sell in the way. You don't have anything to sell in the way of experience. So you're you're on this this road to convincing this company to pay you to write code, right? Or to teach you or yeah. to take you on. So you need to do everything in your power to convince them of that. And as well, it's it's part of that keenness that you really want to convey as a junior. I think quite a lot of the things we might talk about here will come back to that as like if you were to assume everyone kind of everyone applying for an entry level position has a similar level of experience, the thing you really wanna wanna convey to the employer that's gonna make the difference is that thirst for knowledge, that keenness to grow and learn and being able to show that you have done that, you've taken these skills you've learned, you've applied them to something else, you've kinda you've got that willingness and that drive that's going to make you a better candidate even though you've got the same experience. Yeah, and I think the number of ways you can show that in your application, the better. I, I think for a front end dev, this is is quite important as well. And actually, I'm really interested in your your thoughts on this, but because obviously, when you're building a portfolio, I think this question I seem to get quite a lot is how important is design and design knowledge? Because it's, I guess it is difficult to make something look good, <laughs> especially when design doesn't come naturally. So, like, how important? Yeah. You know, th- this is a bit of a, a bit of a roadblock for to sort of juniors and self teachers. Like, how important do you think portfolio design and the way it looks is? So, it, I mean, I guess it's hard to deny that a very nice looking portfolio site will make a good impression. You know, like if it looks nice, it's going to make more of a good impression than one that doesn't look nice. That's yeah. that's kind of a given. That's human nature, right? I I want to stress like you don't need to be a designer to be a front end developer. I am certainly not very good at design skills. Um, I will openly admit here on the podcast that the design of my own portfolio site was done by a friend. I traded him giving me some mock-ups for me helping him with some code because he was a designer who was learning to code and is now Uh, actually really proficient at both, which is kind of annoying. That's gone out in the airwaves, mate. Yeah. uh, Secrets out. Yeah. I'm a fraud. (laughs) I mean, I've updated it since, you know, I've sort of, refreshed it with the times i've improved the accessibility but that core design the color scheme the sort of the the base layout has all been from someone else's mock-up and then i put my focus on making it really responsive you know making it adapt nice at absolutely any pixel size because i'm sure like the first time anyone opens up you know the the portfolio site of a front-end dev they're they're considering hiring they're grabbing the side of the browser and they're squishing it and seeing how responsive that portfolio is. Yes, I mean, it's yeah. something I certainly do. I've seen other people do it and I've had people comment about my portfolio that they really liked the way I'd done that. So just sort of making infinitely smaller and smaller or bigger or bigger adjustments and just adding in a new breakpoint and changing things up when it doesn't quite look right. And so, also like it's the first thing that you do as a front end dev, do you run a lighthouse all day as well on the site? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say it's possibly the second, but yeah, that is a very good point. Making sure you've got at least good lighthouse scores in the important areas. So yeah, accessibility for sure, and probably SEO and best practices. I'll forgive performance on quite a lot of things because I know like free hosting isn't always the greatest for that kind of thing, and maybe you don't have control over caching and that kind of thing. So it's not as important, but I'll certainly look for for glaring things like massive uncompressed images and that kind of thing i've had situations where i've been looking at a site and been like oh i bet this doesn't score well yeah i, I don't know if like lighthouse has made it a lot harder now to score 
a perfect score, especially in performance, hundred yeah. percent. I think if you just have if you have any render blocking resources, even if you're just linking out to a style sheet, I think you can only get ninety nine percent. Just just have the perfect like only HTML, no CSS, <laughs> no interaction newspaper website without images, and then you're golden. D- done. Front end completed. Yeah. I mean, but then <laughs> equally, that is a good way to start your site, right? Is to focus yeah. on that base HTML focus on the markup, get the semantics right, get it accessible, and then start adding styling on top of that rather than focusing on sort of all the CSS and how it's going to look, you know, like kind of almost you're doing it backwards that way. You want to make sure you've got your basics done and then add styling as a layer of presentation on top of that. And then JavaScript is sort of a layer of interaction on top of that. And I think um, that's really, really insightful. You said about your portfolio. Obviously, you definitely don't need to be a designer to be a front-end dev because you know, my experience has been I've always worked with a dedicated designer or UXer on a team and uh, obviously that work that working relationship is really important and having you know some idea of like design principles and stuff like that helps certainly helps yeah personally I just I have like you know a folder in my bookmarks of just sites I like the look of things to draw inspiration from essentially that's always sort of worked for me whether when I put these things together whether they work or not it's a different different yeah. matter <laughs> yeah I, I I definitely tried that several times I've got like a notebook somewhere with all the old like hand drawn layouts I suggested for my website all look very like web 2.0 and weird and then I, I I guess I've just never been good at that um and I know that's a very like easy thing to just be like, oh no I'm not good at that, I'm not gonna try. Um I've I've never found myself very successful doing it. Um and I guess I haven't dedicated a lot of time to it. And there are definitely things out there that will do something for you. Like you can have a, a color scheme generated for you automatically online or you can have uh, like you know places where you can go and look at wireframes and, and get good layouts and you can sort of put the two together or even just kind of copy the layout of someone else's but put your own spin on it yeah but yeah i always ended up with a i guess a uncanny valley situation if you know that like yeah where yeah. it looks so close to being a good portfolio site but it's not quite right and so it looks awful and i can see like from from this conversation we're having where we're being really critical of these things like this is part of where the argument against portfolio sites come from right where people are saying that almost having having a bad portfolio site can actually harm your application potentially i guess like i get where they're coming from in that respect but i guess like you said in your last podcast episode you know you get applications that don't actually link out to any code or any work i guess at a minimum you know a portfolio site if it does link does link out to some projects or it holds some of your projects at least it can at least show someone that you you can write some code and you can do something productive <laughs> at a minimum yeah. so Based on that, then two questions. So, what sort of projects do you feel are best suited for a front end developer, junior front end dev? And also, do you think less is more, or lots of projects that sort of showcase a range of skills? What What are your thoughts on that? So, I'm gonna I'm gonna interpret your your double question as as one single question of what nice. makes a good portfolio site. So, I did have some thoughts on this. Um, and not all of them are projects, which is why I kind of wanted to open that up a little bit. Okay, yep, nice. But, so I think having a bit of variety is good. Like you don't want to just have your portfolio full of all the same thing or, you know, different flavors of the same thing. So maybe have a pick of like, like I was kind of touching on earlier, what shows maybe your backend skills or what shows 
your sort of your CSS skills? Like, what's the site that you're really happy with the way it looks? What's the site that where there's an interaction that you really like, or you think you've done some really good JavaScript? And also pick things, maybe not focus just on what they achieve, but how they've been done. Because I think when I'm reviewing code on GitHub, like first of all, if there's not a link to it running somewhere, I'm going to be reading your code because I could spend you know hours downloading it and getting it set up and try and get it to run and looking at what I need to do. Whereas I probably don't have hours to spend on every applicant, unfortunately. Like I'd love, yeah. I'd love to, but I think it's just you know got to be realistic about the situation. You want to spend a bit of time, but you can't spend too much. So if your code doesn't read well, then maybe that's an area to go back and look at. Like add in comments where you need them. You know, don't litter everything, but if you've got a big method, then maybe highlight what that method does, or maybe check that your variables are named in a way that someone who's coming coming in fresh can look at this and can understand what it does, but also could think to themselves, this is someone who I could work with. Like, this is someone whose code I could read. This is someone who would make a good contribution to my team project. Um, you know, you could potentially have, if you've got any friends who are devs, you could have your friend review that code and sort of give tips on like, well, here's where I got stuck, right? Reading it, or here's what I think would be better. And, yeah. you know, you could even... You could help each other out and kind of do that as a tip for tat exercise. Um, I also think highlighting, I mean, I'm sure this is something you've been advocating to people already, but highlighting an open source contribution on your portfolio site is obviously great because that shows that it's a real project and it's not, you know, it's it's something out there in the wild. It's something you've had to collaborate on, probably match a, match a code style. So it's already showing those skills that you can you can bring into that job that you would otherwise need to learn on the job if you haven't done that before. Definitely. Um, the other side of things I would suggest is a blog. Um, so actually my portfolio site doesn't really have the portfolio aspect anymore and it very much just has a homepage and a blog. But I think writing about your learnings is really important. Um, firstly, I think it's good like when you write a blog post about a subject you really sure up that knowledge in your own head because you realize you actually need to understand it in order to explain it to someone else. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it kind of forces you to understand your subject that you're writing about. I'm sure you've been learning this over the past few months, James. Yes, I have. Um, but also like it, it shows to an employer what you've learned or a potential employer, you know, like if I've seen you've been writing blog posts on your experience learning a certain framework, I can see how far you've got. I can see how you've been doing that over time. I can see that you're kind of sticking it up. Like if you've got a, regular cadence with your blog posts i can see what you're learning over time and that you are on this learning journey and it also shows that you've you've kind of understood something and you've been able to form an opinion on it yes. rather than just like the the i use this because that's what they told me to use at the boot camp like, <laughs> yeah. no one's going to write a blog post about i use this because I, they told me to at the boot camp and so anyone who's written a blog post about what tech they're using and why has already gone way beyond that level in my estimations if that makes sense Yes. Yeah. I guess it, it shows that they're able to sort of come away and have some sort of perspective on what, why they've chosen thing. And then able to make a comparison and thinking, oh, actually, you know, this has been picked for X reason. And then when they yeah. go to different use case or situation in the future, they'll be able to better select that technology and match it against that, you know, use case because they have a understanding or a bit more of a meta understanding of it. Exactly that. Yeah. Like, because that's, that's really the skill you're going to need when you're going into, yep. into your first job is like, learning how to make those decisions and what to use because realistically you're not going to be doing a project that is just things you've done before 
and it would be really boring if that was the case where you'd just be like right and it's this stack again and i'm going to do this exact thing again but it's just got some different text in it that i'm pasting in and you know no one actually wants to do that so but no, learning but... that skill and showing that you've got that skill of making these decisions and solving new problems as they approach and sort of having having the ability to to think clearly about something and come up with the right way to go forward or at least even if it's not the objectively right way because that probably isn't an objectively right way it's that you can have a reasoned approach and you know why you're doing the thing you're attempting to do exactly yes and i i think what you said is is really fantastic because i think a lot of uh learners self-teachers they they are under this assumption that they're going to learn this stack and then they're going to get a job and it will just be i'm going to be working with the things that i've learned on this particular stack when actually in reality even if you apply for a job that says you're going to be using react you're going to be using redux you'll be using tailwind a lot of the time you're not <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you know they're gonna go, okay you don't really know how to code at the standard we'd like at the moment so we're going to put you on this internal project or this legacy project where you're just going to be working with basic javascript and css or something like that so that's a really important point i think like i don't think people speak enough about that yeah and i think even if even if you are working exclusively with these frameworks that you've picked that you really want right they're not going to be the ones forever I mean, I know mm-hmm. React's been around for quite quite a while now, and it is still really popular. But people used to think that about Angular, you know, back when I was I was starting, like that was the hot button topic, and no one was considering using something else, and they were just all migrating over from Backbone or the other things that had been using before because it had the bigger community. And you know, whether it's whether it's a year, whether it's ten years time, there will be something else, or even just like. The tools, the tool will be the same tool, but it will be so different internally because it's so many new versions architected in so many different new ways that you'll still need that ability to to decide which one you need and to you know maybe pick which of the many state managers you want to add into your React app because at the very least, like you know, React is only one portion of the puzzle. Definitely, and I mean, look at React, right? It was like a couple of years ago; it was all you know class-based components. Mm. And now it's it's all functional components and and hooks and things like that. So even React has, has changed so much uh, in the last couple of years. But yeah, okay. So we've 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 covered uh, portfolios. And I think naturally the the next sort of thing I wanted to talk to you about was the actual interview process. But specifically for front end uh, developers, because when I was preparing for interviews and I was sort of first looking for jobs in London back in the early part of 2018, I was a bit confused at what I should be preparing for. Do I practice algorithms or do I, should I practice like some like pair programming stuff, building some sort of apps or do I, you know, is it all take home exercises? I was really confused or actually should I be preparing for like trivia style questions? So I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Like, I know obviously a lot of this is location specific, but do you have any sort of generic advice in terms of front end for for interviews? Yeah, sure. I mean, so I definitely want to caveat all of my advice. So like, I've actually been in far fewer interviews as the interviewee than I have as the interviewer. So I think <laughs> most of my experience will be from that side of the, yep. of the seat. And also the fact that, I, so the company I work for, Potato, we have never done algorithms and sort of whiteboarding algorithms in interviews because we really don't like it. And I'm, I'm glad for that. And we also recently did away with take home tests as well. Is that so, backend as well, Michael? Do you don't do algos? Yeah, for, yeah. We don't really do algorithms and that kind of thing. Cause 
my experience of it is it's so much about whether or not you have that algorithm memorized. You know, it's, it's much less. I can see that people want to take a look at someone's logic process and take a look at, you know, how they think through this and see how they'd approach a problem. But generally, it, I think it comes down to whether or not they prepped that one or whether or not they watched the right video on how to beat the algorithm exercise. Because honestly, if, if there was a time when I needed to tell you how efficient an algorithm was in my job, I'd be Googling it. And that would be the right way to tackle that. I don't think I'd ever need to work it out in my head and, you know, like come yeah. up with justification for, oh no, this is definitely the right way to do this because of this. I'll work it out with a pencil. I won't look it up. Yeah, because, I mean, especially in North America, there seems like there is a real strong focus on algorithms, um, especially for front end roles as well, which I always find slightly odd. But I think maybe yeah, this is same. more more geared towards like i don't know if you're, you're familiar with this term of fang you know facebook amazon you know, i did have to google it yeah it's only because i i sort of checked out some reddits and i actually discovered what this was only recently but yes yeah, like your facebook's amazon's uh netflix and google i mean personally i don't think it is but i mean there's there's all sorts of articles out there some saying that it's a good way of doing it some say that it's a terrible way of doing it Others saying that like it, it really excludes certain demographics and stuff like that, or like it it gears your job market towards people that have university degrees versus opening it up to everyone and that kind of thing. So I guess I I've never done an algorithm based interview myself. I've actually intentionally steered away from any company that would do one. Right. I just personally I don't think it's relevant. I don't want to do it, and I kind of question the company that would put me through it potentially because like I don't. I don't see how that relates to the duties that I would perform as a front-end dev, so I don't I don't like anyone that would make me do that to get a job as a front-end dev, I guess, is kind of my, my yeah. own personal take on it. Definitely. I think, you know, if, if you do have some sort of take-home exercise or you can you do something in the interview process that can showcase that you understand or you can build something that's accessible, you know, you're aware of performance, you have an understanding of basic web tech, and you can build something that's readable, maintainable, surely that's more important than being able to do some sort of like tree traversing or something algorithm <laughs> exactly yeah it's just with a specific run you're going to need to do it just doesn't yeah. seem relevant to me and yeah like you touched on sort of take-home tests there i think there's definitely a time and a place for them i'm not against them per se i've done i've done sort of three or four in my time i think it's important to remember that they need to be respectful of your time because mm -hmm. i think if if you go back to a company and say like hey i'm gonna need a bit longer to work on this or you know, I, I'm actually got really, like, I've got social engagements, so I'm really busy this week. Can I get back to you next week? If they're not responding well to something like that, then I'd see that as a big red flag about that company. And, you know, like, that might be how they respond to your personal time in the future when you worked for them. And I think if they're not willing to give you a bit of leniency or, you know, be flexible or respectful, then probably a bullet dodged and you can just sort of walk away from that job. I know that's, again quite a fortunate position to have to be able to walk away from something like that but yeah i really wouldn't want to go for a company that doesn't respect my time and doesn't respect that work-life balance that becomes so important and you know even more important in the current situation we're working in yes yeah definitely so given that you don't have any sort of like direct experience with algorithms and whiteboarding and to be honest sort of neither do i really um like how how would you advise or what would your 
tips be, I guess, for just sort of general interview preparation then, specifically for a front-end role? Sure. I mean, so some of this will be just sort of my thoughts on interviews in general, but yeah, I'll try and keep a front-end spin in mind. But I think the big thing I'd focus on is authenticity, like being yourself, focusing on what you actually know and trying to display that. So see, uh, I guess a lot of advice on like how to show that you know more than you do or how to you know ace this interview even though you don't really know about this thing and i i guess i just disagree with it because i to me you'll just end up in a role that you're not qualified for and that's not any judgment of you that's just why would you want to be in a role that requires you to have skills that you don't have yeah that sounds like it's going to be a miserable experience or a place where you'll end up on a performance review really soon because you're, you know, an entry level person pitching themselves to a midweight le- like position. It, I just don't see it being a happy experience for the person. So I guess I'd focus on talking about what you know, talking about what you understand, um, and don't be afraid to say, I don't know the answer to that. I think that's one of the biggest tips I can give for an interview is be prepared to say, I don't know the answer to that, but here's how I'd approach this. Yeah. You know, yeah. like follow up with like, I haven't come across that situation before, but this is how, this is the steps I would go through in order to try and solve that if I found myself in that situation. And you can even then follow up and ask the interviewer, like, you know, what would you do in that situation? Or what, you know, what, what were you looking for? That kind of thing. And then as well as presenting that authenticity and, it almost adds extra weight to the things you have said you know if you're prepared to say that you don't know something you don't because they think, well, you know, on the, all in all of these other questions where they have given an answer, they must have been much more sure about it. Um, and also it gives a, a learning opportunity for you because now you've found this gap in your knowledge and you can focus your learning there next time. And, you know, you've got potentially a good bit of insight from someone who assumedly is more experienced than you because they're the person interviewing you so i think like being being sort of mentally prepared to go and do that i think is a really handy way to prep for an interview i realize that's not a super specific thing but it's just something i've noticed in my time interviewing it's hard to be specific isn't it when given when all interviews different i guess so yeah yeah i mean so generally i think the specific prep i do for an interview is having a bit of a read-up about the company. Like, Mm -hmm. I know maybe you've done a bunch of CVs going out, you know, maybe you've done a really high volume of applications. I think it's quite important that when you join that interview, you know the company, you know, you know which of the roles it is you're you're about to talk about and which company it is. You've done a little bit of homework because even if you have done, you know, mail shots to a bunch and you're getting results, like, you don't really want to show people that, you know, you don't want to see like, Oh, I just turned up to this. I don't really know what it is. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. a little bit of homework, you know, like to show, Oh yeah, it's cause that's about this project you have guys have, or yeah, I was really interested in this part. Cause also we've, it's a quite standard question to be asked what it was about the role that made you want to apply. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And if you don't have an answer for that, it doesn't look good, you know? Yeah. Sorry. What's the company? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, which role was this again? Money. I just, yeah, I just exactly. want to be paid money. Is, is that a valid answer? Which maybe it is, but you know, you kind of want to show a little bit more, something a bit more specific than that. And the other thing to think of is like questions to ask them because it's going to come at just about 
every interview at some point they'll be like do you have any questions for us and while it's okay not to have any i think you can show a lot more engagement by having something specific to ask you know like i think in potato when i joined um pick there was a picture on the website of like of the office space or something like that and i was just kind of like asking how it was being used or like i saw there was the pool table so i kind of asked asked about that how that was used um, one I've kind of lent on quite a few times is saying like, yeah, so I, I cycle to work generally. So like, if I was to join this company, do you have any bike storage or is that something, you know, that, that's available or do you have the cycle to work? So, you know, like something along those lines that's yep. like, Hey, I've, I've actually thought in my head about joining this company. And it also kind of helps the interviewer to see you at the company a bit more. Like it kind of creates that impression that you're actually quite serious about this role. And it's not just like just an interview which i think is a good impression to give um but as for like specific technical knowledge i've never really done interview prep on specific technical knowledge i think for myself i I think it's just something about the way i learn is that i'm really bad at the learning where it's just hey straight memorize these facts or like what date did this event happen couldn't tell you but if it's like if it's this thing that you understand, tell me about it. I can always tell you about something that I understand because I understand it. And for me, that, that knowledge sinks in at the point that I understand it and I can explain my approach and I can explain my thinking. So I've never really done the kind of prep of uh, I need to memorize the important things about JavaScript or these 100 methods or this how this react. You know, like I've never gone through those top interview questions and memorized answers because I think it just comes across as thin in knowledge yep because all it takes is to someone to pressure probe a little bit deeper you know like ask a follow-up question or ask how that thing you've just said compares to this other thing and it will show that you don't know yeah physical script yeah yeah or (laughs) you know like i've i've seen when i asked a question to someone in a, a video call interview I saw them turn their head to the side of the screen and give me a textbook answer and turn back and stumble and then have to look again for the last one that they tried to remember and forgotten. Then I asked them if there were any other things they'd consider and they didn't have an answer. So, you know, it was so obvious that that was a textbook answer. And the trouble is, now I have no idea whether you know that or not. Yeah, exactly. Because you've given me a textbook answer. And I I don't know whether you knew half of that or all of it or none of it. The thing is as well, like if, you know, if someone says he's just, you you could, someone asked me something in one of the mentoring sessions and I was like, well, there is definitely an array method for that. I couldn't remember the name. (laughs) You don't need to. Essentially, you just need a rough idea of what to Google, right? Then you can figure that out. Yeah. Like I know I can go to the MDN array methods page and get that one. And like when it comes to an interview, if you were to say, oh, I'm pretty sure there's an array method for that, isn't there? Like that shows the knowledge just as much as saying, yes, I'd use a radar prototype. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're actually talking them through your process or the process that the interviews will, will use themselves when they can't remember some yeah, specific syntax. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you probably laugh about it as well, right? You're like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And a also, joke, break the tension. Exactly. Yeah. And then they get out the whiteboard. Anyway. Um... <laughs> I should have done that to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I was going to say to you as well is like, I have recommended this to a couple of uh, students because they've been a bit concerned about um, like mentorship and stuff. They really want mm-hmm. that in a role, but they're a bit concerned about just coming out and saying like, hey, is there mentorship? You know, like it's a bit of a, it's a very handholdy question. And I sort of think it is and it isn't because I think as a junior, 
it should be an expectation that you you don't know much and that you, they can have to sink some time into teaching you stuff and you know like getting you up to speed with things it should it should be a given really and secondly i think maybe a better way of asking this is just to ask about the general like onboarding process for the company because i think from that answer you know from their response you'll get a good idea about the whether you'll just be chucked straight into the deep end or not but what do you think on that yeah i think i mean i think it's really important to ask because if if the kind of if the company is going to be put off by the fact that you've asked that yeah, that probably means there isn't a support system. <laughs> yeah. you know, no one's going to be annoyed at having to tell you about this good support system they've got in place. They're probably going to be maybe slightly taken aback by the question, possibly just because they weren't expecting it. I mean, I got asked, yeah, I got asked that a couple of times in an interview, and I think the first time I was asked it, it caught me off guard a little bit because I thought they were going to ask something completely different about, you know, just about the role in general. And they were like, "Yeah, can you know, obviously you're you're hiring for." A junior role and lots of the people you'll be interviewing won't have any professional experience at all i just want to know like how you're going to support me with that yeah and i was like oh gosh that is a very good question and it's a valid one and you know and i had an answer but i hadn't i guess i hadn't got a full plan in my head in terms of you know and on this date we'll do this and on the, you know we'll have check-ins at this interval and that kind of thing i had a rough plan and you know part of the putting together their onboarding package for the role would be getting that plan cemented and set in stone but i was impressed that they asked it and it also shown again that they were thinking about specifically joining this exactly and they were thinking about taking things beyond just starting you know they were they were thinking about a career rather than a job and that's a really attractive quality for someone looking to employ someone sure you're you're here you want to learn you want to progress because the thing is if you if you are just chucked in and you want a company wants you to hit the ground running it's very difficult if you don't have any experience because yeah sure you might be able to just survive and deliver something say for a client but i always think you do need someone experienced a senior there to just say hey maybe have you considered this or this is a better way of doing it you know you, you're going to need that at some point otherwise you're just gonna stumble through this junior experience and you will learn stuff but i, I just don't think there's any substitute for having some guidance that's another important thing to ask i guess it's like do you have any idea about the team you're going to be working in or what's the sort of you know i think that was actually the question i asked you michael yeah, answer. you've you've asked me, you asked me about team structure as well. I think you didn't ask about the specific team I was working in, or that you would be working in. But yeah. I think you were asking me like what the what the common composition of teams were exactly. like. You wanted to know about the tech stack, and you also wanted to ask me about like what was the biggest challenge of working at Potato, which I thought was a very interesting question to Ooh. ask. Oh yeah. So I just I just pulled up your interview <laughs> to make sure because I did note down the questions you asked. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I guess. You know, that that just, like you said, that's a really good point. If what you said about the bike, it's like it shows that you thought seriously about working at this place and you want you want it to work and you want it to be a good match. Yeah, I think we're kind of touching on like what one of my main interview tips was going to be is like, you've got to remember that you are interviewing the company to see if they're a good fit for you as much as the company is interviewing you to see if you're a good fit for them. Because as much as you may be, really desperate to get your first role as junior and i can completely empathize with that like it, i can see the frustration that some people go through sort of trying and trying and not getting their role or you know the fact that it's such a competitive market but at the same time you really don't want a bad job yeah like no one wants that it's going to be an unpleasant experience it's probably going to be worse than not having one obviously worse than waiting for the right one yeah yeah I you agree. Know, obviously if you really need the money that's kind of a different question but yeah hopefully you know 
not, not too many of your listeners are finding themselves in that situation. Hopefully we're more in the situation where they're taking the time to learn something new, possibly alongside their existing job. Well, actually, this, this takes us into the, the last question, which was your generic tips for the whole interview process. So, you know, one of those, and I, I completely agree with, is actually you know, taking the interview process seriously and actually interviewing them as well. Do you have any other generic tips as well? I, I always finish with these sort of generic tips. And I think they're really difficult questions, but... <laughs> should rebrand. Start calling them like key takeaways. Key takeaways. Do, do, yeah. you have, do you have any more key takeaways? Yeah. So, I, just, I mean, we've touched on a couple of these, but I guess I'm just going to sort of run through. Yeah, so the first one is just to be authentically you. Like, don't, don't try and be something you're not in the interview. Be you and find out if you is a good fit for that company. Um. And the second, yeah, just um, remembering that you're interviewing the company. Like, I, I think it helps take the pressure off a little bit if you're, if you're thinking about like, is this the company I want to work for rather than just being this desperately like, oh, please, please company, give me this job kind of thing. It definitely takes some of the anxiety out of the situation. Yeah. Um, then saying when you don't know, which is just, it's so important. And I respect the candidate so much for being like, I don't know, but this is how I'd approach it. Because nine times out of 10, when you're working on the job, you're going to be in a situation where you don't necessarily know the answer. And it's all about how you approach it and how you deal with those blockers. That's actually kind of how you, how you're a good dev in a way, you know, um, then take a little breathing room if you need to. So I think we always worry about these long pauses in something we're saying when, you know, when you're when you're talking or you're waiting to respond to a question, taking that half second to think can feel like a really long time to you, but actually it's not a long time and no one else really will think, oh gosh, you've been quiet for exactly 1.5 seconds before I answered that, asked that question. Like, how dare you? You know, and if you want to, if you're, if you're really worried about that, that gap or you want extra time, you can do these little things like, ah, oh, that's a really good question. Or, oh, let me just think about that. Yeah, this is what I think I'd do. Or, um, you know, sort of play the question back to them to show that you've understood. And I know that's that's something you, even you've done in this podcast, right? Is like several times after I've said my bit, you said, "Yeah," and I think that's a really interesting thing you touched on there. And then you picked out one of the little bits, and then that gave you time to formulate the yeah. next part of the question. You know, yeah. it's just a conversational skill in a way. But I think it really buys you some breathing room and some thinking space in the interview if you are worried about that time to respond, or you can you can have a glass of water with you which, you know, is, is a fairly normal thing to ask for when you're sitting down in a physical interview, or you can have one with you at your desk if you're doing your interview over Hangouts or Zoom. And you can just take a sip before you answer. And you've got that that little bit of sort of grounding of the cold water going in, and you kind of have a few seconds to think, and then you can respond rather than sort of a, a more panic reaction if you are nervous about sort of thing. Um, then, yeah, take some time to think about some genuine questions to ask. And then... Um, final one is maybe something I've only just come across recently. I didn't think it needed to be a top tip, but be professional. Because um, I know it's difficult with the situation right now. You know, like several people have been furloughed. For some people, like this is them starting a new career. Um, and sort of Zoom fatigue is a real thing. But try to be on time to your interviews. Try to be, you know, polite and, and timely in your response to comms. Um, and you know make make an effort because i think we've we had some people we were interviewing that managed to be late for both interviews or completely miss them you know like we've waited on the hangout for 10 minutes and then phoned them 
and they're like, oh, sorry, I I thought it was tomorrow. <laughs> no I didn't check my calendar or, oh, no, well, what happened was this, or, you know, like, or they'll miss the interview and we'll chase them, you know, like we'll email them and only then will they be like, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot. I'm really interested in the job still. Whereas, I mean, if I if I was late to an interview or missed an interview, like I'd be immediately contacting the company the moment that I realized because, you know, if I genuinely wanted the role, yes, yeah. because otherwise you're going to come across as disinterested or you're going to make them wonder whether you'll be late to work every day if you are late to the interview every time. And it's probably amazing how how just these simple things can actually just make you stand out from 90% of the other candidates. I'm not mm. saying that 90% of the candidates do this, but like these little things you talked about here, this talking points and tips, you know, like if you can if you can take these on on board, definitely going to stand out from a lot of other candidates. I mean, I've I, I've done some interview and you've done a way way more than me, so <laughs> yeah, we've done some together, right? Oh yeah, we have, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think I sat in on your first interview. Yeah, you possibly. did. Yeah, yeah. Let you let you shadow me a little bit. I mean, obviously, I did your interview as well, which was an interesting. It's quite an interesting dynamic to be back here now talking about. <laughs> yeah, we've gone through the whole process. Your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what the next step is. <laughs> I, I was wondering that actually. Or we could do we could record a, an interview together. You know, like you can interview me for a job. And then we record that and put that out as the podcast. So I, I actually down. think that would be a really useful yeah, I was exercise. Uh, so thank you, Michael. That's uh, we've uh, As usual, we've covered a lot of content there. And I know we've touched on portfolios, general application processes, and quite a bit on the interview process. But I feel there's a lot of content there and a lot of useful information to take away for our listeners and as we've spoken about obviously there's a caveat here that things do vary depending on your location um however there are some themes here and some points that i think you know just apply everywhere to be honest um and if you can you know take some of these away and use them really help you to stand out in in all honesty quite a competitive market at the moment for uh, junior devs but um thanks for coming on again michael really appreciate that uh, thanks for having me it's been a pleasure and uh I'm sure I'll find another excuse to ask you to come on again. (laughs) Very happy to. It's been good fun. Cheers again. So thanks for listening, everyone, and I'll catch you on the next episode.